Holy heck, I can't believe how intense this situation is. I can't believe we had to go pick Adam up from the airport to bring him to podcast with us, and suddenly there's two of them? Okay, I really don't need a recap for my own situation, okay? I need you to take this guy out. Right, but Adam, how do we know you're even the real Adam? I don't want to shoot my plot convenient laser blaster at the wrong one. Good, because he's not the real one. I am. Blast him. Ah, we gotta figure this out. I mean, I know it's tense and all, but I think we have some time to deduce this. Right, dear? No, we do not. We only have the sitter for another couple hours. Crap, you're right. Okay, Adams, tell us something only you would know. Uh, uh, We ate sushi at C2E2 Saturday night. Yeah, but there were lots of people there. Uh, we hung out on at the beach in June. Also not helpful. Hurry, this is really stressful. Oh, I got it. Adam, what do you call the processed pork product from New Jersey? Easy. You call it Taylor Ham. Absolutely not. You may only call it pork roll. That's it, Chris. Take the shot. <laughs> Who knew it would be that easy? Wow, thanks, Chris's. Calling it Taylor Ham, clearly the evilest of twins. Well, Adam, it's good to see you, bud. You ready to come back with us? Absolutely, I am. Christy, you ready to talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our final of three episodes covering Executioner's Song. And as you heard in our cold open, we have a very special guest with us today. Welcome, Adam Reck, to the show. Thank you, Chris's. I am so excited to be here to talk about one of my childhood favorites, Executioner's Song. Readers, you may recognize Adam from the podcast he co-hosts, Battle of the Atom. Uh, You may recognize him from the comics that he's done, like Bish and Jubes. Mm -hmm. That's me. Yeah. That is Adam. (laughs) (laughs) So, Adam, this was a childhood favorite for you? Well, I was uh, 12 when this came Mm -hmm. out. And um, that seems perfect. You have to like really keep in mind that like this was super, super exciting. You know, it was a 12 part poly bagged with trading cards crossover between all of the books. And there was this sort of insinuation that we were going to get the explanation for what was going on with like baby Nathan and Strife Mm -hmm. and Cable. And like, I think it may seem like quaint looking back on it from 2021, but like at that moment, this was one of the most exciting things happening in comics because New Mutants 100 had left off with this cliffhanger that they had the same faces. And you were like, wait, is Cable Strife? Is Strife Cable? Like what's happening? And then you started to get into this thing about like, wait a minute, it's the baby? And... This was supposed to kind of, like, tie all that up, and it it doesn't, but it's still, like, (laughs) uh, it was still so cool at the moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So tell me about, you said there were cards with each of the issues? Yes, there were were two different kinds of of cards. There was also a companion comic book called Strife Strike File. And that is in the reading list if we just didn't read it. Oh. Oh, you don't have to read that. It's very silly. But the whole idea of that was that like Strife has, you know, like an Xavier file style like thing where the Uh. different characters are there and he's going to talk about like how stupid, like he wants to kill them. (laughs) (laughs) But the trading cards were also like in the vein of Strife Strike File because there were people that like were, I don't know, what was the, there was one that was like Prey and there was one that was like Predators or something like that. But it was people Mm -hmm. who were like, you know, he was going to get you or, and and they were framed with little targets. (laughs) That's great. It was pretty wild. (laughs) And like some of them had not shown up yet. Yes, you were getting cards of characters that might not have been in that issue. Um, like, so. imagine if if Christy for Hawksbox, we were getting cards for like characters that showed up like a, even like a year later in comics, but all we have is like a card of them. Oh man, that would 
I mean, can you imagine like Twitter if they had these oh, cards? Would have ex- like, they would have exploded. <laughs> so yeah. I would have gotten my Baby Havoc trading card and I would have died. Oh my God. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Where is Baby Havoc? Um, Where is Baby Havoc? We all want to know. <laughs> so yeah, I think the only thing that could have made this more exciting to 12-year-old X-Men fans was like holograms or like a reflective cover or something. But this was right. this was a big deal. All right. Well, before we get into the, the meat of it, Christy, do you want to help me out with this here summary? Yeah, summary. Uncanny X-Men number 296, written by Scott Lobdell, penciled by Brandon Peterson, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Joe Rosas, lettered by the juggernaut Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Bob Harris. Jean plays Possum as her and Cyclops are being chased by Strife's Dark Riders, only for the tables to be turned as the duo blast through their foes and continue their attempt to escape before finding a baby... Beast, Lorna, and Moira attempt to decode the transmode virus in Professor X, but it's only a taunting message from Strife. Meanwhile, on Grey Malkin, Cable, Bishop, and Wolverine attempt to figure out the main players behind this whole story. They presume if they figure out everyone's connection, they can figure out how to beat Strife. Grey Malkin begins a scan of the Earth to try to locate Strife. Apocalypse recovers from his recent fights, and while the team deliberates his offer to join them, Archangel says they simply must team up, if only because he wants to see Apocalypse suffer instead of killing him quickly. Strife comes on the horn, telling Scott and Jean that if they kill the baby, they'll kill Strife. As the child is linked with Strife's consciousness, they refuse, of course, and start tangling with the Dark Riders. Strife is, for some reason, baffled by this, and Scott and Jean escape down a little mechanical vortex, with the baby revealed to have been a mechanical fake. Wolverine figures out the reason they haven't found Scott, Jean, or Strife on Earth is because they're in space! Scott and Jean's escape was no escape at all as they now float into the airless atmosphere of the moon. X-Factor 86 Written by Peter David Penciled by Jay Lee Inked by Al Milgram Colored by Glynis Oliver Lettered by Steve Durdo Edited by Kelly Corviz Wolverine calls the X-Men and tells them that Jean and Cyclops are on the moon, and Storm puts together a team of her, Havoc, Polaris, Archangel, Iceman, Psylocke, and Cannonball to go to the moon. She also tells the boys on Grey Malkin to stay put. Apocalypse decides he's going to save the Professor once and for all, using some device to extract the virus from the Professor. The way it goes down freaks everyone out, but Archangel tells them not to intervene. It turns out it brings the virus into Apocalypse instead, who the virus finds unpalatable. It instead kind of turns into a little bug and crawls away from Xavier, and Apocalypse gives it a squish. Gasping for air on the moon, Scott and Jean can suddenly breathe again as Strife appears with a telekinetic bubble of air. Strife taunts them as the air slowly runs out, telling them that if they beg for help, he'll give it. They refuse and pass out. Apocalypse tells the X-Men that he has the technology to take them to the moon, but the Grey Malkin boys get bored and went themselves already, finding the Dark Riders standing in their way. X-Men number 16, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Andy Kubert, inked by Mark Pennington and Andy Kubert, colored by Joe Rosas, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Bob Harris. Wolverine, Cable, and Bishop start tussling, but Wolverine is clobbered pretty quickly, leaving the gents to look a little outnumbered before the X-Men arrive. As they all fight the Dark Riders, Strife muses to his robot pal Zero that the X-Men fight for a feudal cause, and then reveals he's still got Scott and Jean in a TK bubble and heads back out to the moon. Uh, Meanwhile, Charles Xavier is making a pretty nice recovery. After beating the Dark Riders, the X-Men split up to look for Scott and Jean while Apocalypse decides to go alone. Psylocke finds Scott's mental signature, but when the X-Men open the door, they almost get sucked into space. Cannonball wonders how they can follow, trying to enlist Cable's help. However, Grey Malkin's recalibration took too much power. Cannonball also demands to talk with Cable, and as the old man refuses, tensions run high. Cable suggests they use Apocalypse's ship, and they all head out. Apocalypse runs into his Dark Riders, who are no longer on his side. He demands a fight to the death. Professor X wakes up suddenly, shouting that Scott, Gene, Cable, and Strife are all linked. 
The team, clad in cool 90s spacesuits, attempt to breach a force field Strife has put up, but only Havoc and Cable are able to. Hmm. They find Strife with Scott and Jean again, where Strife demands a chat with Cable. X-Force number 18, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Greg Capullo, inked by Harry Candelario, colored by Steve Buccoletto, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Bob Harris. Cable and Strife start fighting, with Strife still wanting to punish Scott and Jean for something, while calling Cable a failed abomination. Betsy telepathically realizes Apocalypse is dying, and Archangel goes off to find him, and possibly finish the job. Cannonball and Lorna are worried about Cable and about Alex, who seems kind of unconscious. Cable and Strife continue fighting, with Cable's skin flicking away slightly and revealing more of his techno-organic self. Back on Earth, the Professor kind of rants and raves about hearing everyone on the moon's thoughts, and his worry is that the only thing that will end the conflict is Scott and Jean's blood. Archangel finds Apocalypse, but refuses to slay him, saying he's still a man and not just Archangel. Alex comes to his senses and blasts Strife, giving Scott and Jean a chance to break free. Strife screams in rage that they're all the guilty ones. He starts to dismantle the entire lunar tower, and Cable hands Scott a little console and then leaps at Strife. The console is a self-destruct counting down, and at zero, Scott reluctantly hits the button, causing a giant explosion that seemingly does away with Strife and Cable. Scott and Jean lament having to sacrifice him, meaning their son, a second time. But back on Earth, Sinister cracks open the canister, which supposedly had Scott and Jean's genetic material given by Strife, but however, a strange mist exits, and Sinister's assistant starts coughing. Okay. Gosh, you know, getting through that summary, I really, and getting through these issues, Adam, it's just like you said, like, I I expected more of an explanation, and like, I just, I didn't get it. Yeah, it is interesting <laughs> that it definitely seems to lead up to, like, there's definitely this hint that, like, oh, Strife thinks that he's their kid, is Strife their kid? Like, we don't, we don't know for certain. Well, right? and you know what's kind of amazing is that that explanation comes in like a random issue of the cable solo series so it it's this big thing and you get this amazing cinematic conclusion to this thing right but Mm -hmm. you really don't know like you get the insinuation like you said that strife is the kid you get scott really starting to figure it out and thinking that Maybe Cable is his son, but there's nothing definitive. So I think a lot of people like probably finished this and were like, oh man, like what? But it was so, such a like over the top action finale that I think that most readers are probably pretty satisfied by it. I know I was. It, yeah. I, I almost wonder like, so at this point, they, they sent baby Nathan Christopher to the future because of the techno-organic virus. Yes, that happened in a quick run that Jim Lee helped co-write with Wills Portacio, and then Chris Claremont came on to script. And it was basically like the last run of the 05 X-Factor before they jump into the Larry Stroman, Peter Allen, David run. So right. it happens right before X-Men 1. And they've they've sent him to the to the future with this like Ascani lady, and you're like, well, what was that all about? And you suddenly realize like there's a retcon going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It's interesting though, because it, to me, like because Cable is the techno organic one, it almost seems kind of obvious who their kid is. But I guess just the the fact that it is not so explicit kind of like leaves you guessing. Well, and I, I think also, and I could be wrong about this, but I un, the way I understood it was that behind the scenes, the idea was that Strife was going to be the kid mm-hmm. because they thought that was the more interesting storyline that like these two heroes had created a villainous child by sending him to the future. But I think very intelligently they decided that was a bad idea and were like no this would be way cooler if like the cool guy who came back is is the kid is there ever a strife goblin queen like team up oh not to my knowledge i don't know that would be pretty pretty cool though (laughs) team up of the clones (laughs) i feel like there's a surprisingly little amount of cable 
goblin queen interaction. Right. Like, let's just pretend Jean's really the mom. Let's yeah. just pretend that that's they, how it's happening. They really do that. Like, literally, I, I, Christy, I don't know if you, if I, we've talked about this, but there is, after Executioner's song, mm-hmm. I think it may be a, a it may even be a couple of years later. There is a mini series called The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. We have talked about it because it happens just before the Phoenix Covenant, which we did oh, cover. That's right. right. And they like they go off to the future and race cable and come back. Right. Thus really cementing the fact that there is <laughs> just pretending the mom. Well, it's also, yeah. it's also pretty complicated because after Inferno, Maddie's memories get merged with Jean's. So right. Jean is like Phoenix slash Maddie slash Jean in that current like configuration in this timeline. And then she becomes like red in the future. It, it's, it's comics. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just realizing like Jean has like memories of Alex. Oh yeah. Oh, that is, biz- I feel like that's not addressed very much either. <laughs> yeah. So I got to ask, uh, you know, I've been listening to the first two episodes and, uh-huh. you know, I've heard some mixed responses because, you know, there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of just like, hey, let's throw these random bad guys at some X-Men and then and then they'll hack and slash. Or we'll throw some X-Men against some X-Men and they'll hack and slash. Uh, do you feel like the ending of this story kind of like justified all 12 parts or did you feel let down? I feel like we had some incredible red herrings throughout this. Mm. And while that can be like a little frustrating in the storytelling, like I think the story in and of itself of Strife abducting, you know, Gene and Scott could have been a lot shorter in its own, but just the general mayhem, I guess, brings a lot more interest to it. I don't know if you're going to make it a big event, it needed to have a little bit more meat to it. So we have kind of like a mystery and a lot of random like goose chases to find nothing at all. So, I mean, I guess that's a little frustrating, but it it, it also kind of works. I'm not, and, and it gives the sense that Strife, you know, plan, this is all according to his plan. They're doing just what they thought he would. So, mm. I, I guess in that context, that kind of works for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I liked the fighting, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I kind of have a soft spot for Andy Kubert a lot. Yeah. And so, and I even have like, I love the Greg Capullo drawn X-Force issues. It's amazing. And so the, the anytime like the two of them get to do cool stuff, like I love it. And I know a lot of people love Jay Lee. I think I, I like Jay Lee, but to me, he he doesn't like scream. 90s which is weird because he obviously did all like all his best work <laughs> in the 90s i really associate him with like the dark tower books yeah yeah um which is a much cleaner style it is a much cleaner style and i uh which i don't i i think this i liked his his art for this but man i i love like the the panel of cable like standing there like like arms and legs like kind of like spread ready to go and like Half of his face is like peeling off. Yeah, there was a lot of removal of clothing and and skin. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) like that is so. To me, that is so cool. Well, another thing we should think about, just in terms of context, is this is a year after Terminator Two. So, you know, like when Cable showed up, he had the glowing eye. He had the scar over the other eye. But really, and he had the, ro- the 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 armored arm, but he really didn't have a full clue about the fact that he was like half robot until you get into X Force. So by here, like you're seeing like half his flesh like slough off of his body, and you're like, wait a minute, is he all robot? Like, what is this? Right. Yeah, it is. Um, I really love Executioner's song. The first time someone <laughs> described this crossover to me, they were like, I respect it, but I don't think it's good. What? <laughs> Which is weird. And I'm like, I th- I feel like I could understand the opposite a little more. <laughs> this is definitely like, like big, dumb action movie. And right, I am it's, it there. Is like, it is like mixing Reese's Pieces with popcorn in <gasps> comic book form. <laughs> 
Like you never had that mixture. Yeah, it's good. That, that but it's just good. you know, it's it's just like it's like movie. It's like movie candy, movie snack. It is just like you are having a really good time. Like when I started reading uh, comics, Adam, my my mom bought a bunch for me from a flea market. Ooh. Uh, when I was living in the Northeast. That was nice of her. And she would just buy like 25 of them at a time, but they would never be in order. And it drove me crazy because that was kind of when I feel like when it would have been like 93. Yeah. And so it was like when serial storytelling was, was you know, like you did need to kind of read this in order. And I just wish like I, and I, I would read X-Men comics and go, I have no clue what's going on, but like these seem like cool, big ideas. And like, I would have, I would have like killed to give my my childhood self like a stack of executioner song because oh. i feel like it would have a hundred percent like sealed like, it i would have just gotten it i would have been there i would have been ready to roll <laughs> but the, the problem was i'd read these things and go oh well, like the cartoon just makes more sense to me uh, it's, right. it's a thing i could get all all of it one or like all of an order it didn't quite have as much like burdensome continuity right mm-hmm. the episodes can stand alone but i one. think executioner song would have been fine for me i i think even with like and maybe I wouldn't have understood the whole strife cable kid thing, but maybe because that was also in the cartoon. So it. Oh yeah, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Like I think it, it is. A, it is when I say it's like the best '90s X Men crossover. I also, to me, mean it's like it is so emblematic of the '90s. It is both like the quality and like the flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's big, it's brash, and it's just kind of crazy. Like, you get to this point in the – I think it starts at the end of the chapter 10 and then into chapter 11, where it's like the MLF attacks uh, Wolverine and and Bishop and, and those guys – oh, and Cable. And, like, it's not really the MLF. It's just a bunch of, like, Cobra, like, droids. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, like, they're just, like, guys. Yeah, and I'm like, when did they get those? They've never had those before. It's always it's always mutants, but doesn't matter. Need something to slash, you know? Yeah. Man, that did get pretty gruesome. Like, there was some <laughs> Wolverine, like, blood-soaked so- claws, and I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite that that graphic. Well, blood and cigarettes? What? <laughs> well, and in the cartoon, they could do neither. So Wolverine would do things like pop his claws and then like try to like grab somebody and like wrestle with them. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, Very silly. So, no, I would have read this and been like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> this is rated PG-13. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Adam was only 12 when he read a rule breaker. <laughs> um, uh, this was still approved by the comics code, I think. Yeah, I think the other thing that's going through these issues that's really fun is the relationship, especially in the last couple issues between Archangel and and Apocalypse. And this will he, won't he of whether Warren is going to kill Apocalypse in his weakened state. I I love that. And I think it's so cool how they leave that scene for the last issue. Um, Because Capullo just kills that. Like, the way he Uh draws Apocalypse, like, so happy to see his his little boy all grown up. And then, (laughs) you know, Archangel's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave you to die. It's such a character-defining moment. Yeah. It is. But I also feel like it's funny having read a bunch of stuff that's come after and been like, oh, they do this, like, a few times. Oh, Like Messiah Messiah War, the thing we read that also has Strife. It also has Mm -hmm. Apocalypse. And there's even a bit where Archangel goes to find Apocalypse and Apocalypse oh is like- Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And we covered that. I read that. I talked about it. Yeah. It's yeah, this is- Just this rehashing is, the this, same this thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It just doesn't have cable. <laughs> I do think the ending of this uh, this 12-part crossover is probably my favorite part. Like, I agree, Christy, that it gets padded in the middle a little bit. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Given that our friend, two-time Glad Award winner Peter Allen David is writing here, but yep. I think it it all works out. Like just this last issue with Capullo doing the art, it's just it feels epic, and I love it. There's a bit where he even makes Havoc look really cool. Oh yeah, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Greg Capullo could do no wrong at this point. Like I, I mean, I yeah. still like him. I think he's great, but this is like some of my favorite stuff. Yeah, this is like the, like him drawing X Force, like it, like Nicieza Capullo X Force is like by far my favorite X Force. Yeah, and it's like probably not even close. 
Yeah. And um, for your listeners who, you know, might be reading along and want to like maybe keep reading it, the next issue of X-Force after this is like one is probably my favorite issue of X-Force ever, where mm-hmm. the X-Force has been imprisoned at, at the Xavier Mansion and they basically redesign their costumes and confront Xavier and kind of break out of the whole like cable are we terrorists kind of thing from the Liefeld mm-hmm. arc and do their own thing. And it's, it's great. It's really great. Yeah. I, I think I almost kind of forget that this event gives X-Force a, a kind of like a, a fresh start. They're sans cable. Yeah. 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 There was, they were sans cable a little bit before this, but this is like pretty definitive. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and after this, they, they think he's dead because he right, doesn't, he's gone yeah, the time stream kind of. Yeah, he doesn't come back until Fatal Attraction. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is a little bit of a break. Not long, but <laughs> it's because I think they launched his solo series in between there where he's mm-hmm. like living in the future and has a beard. Oh, oh, a beard. So that was very exciting. Not really. Beards are exciting, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Give me any series of a character that suddenly has a beard and I'm interested. It, it's not a terrible design. It's just, th- I think whenever somebody in this time period, like right before this, there was a Fabian Nicieza, John Romita Jr. two-part mini that was called Blood and Metal. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. They're going to explain it. And it was like, Oh, Cable figures out that Strife looks like him. That's all that happens, you know? Right, so, and like, we, the rest of us all knew. So right. Like, oh, so then Cable has this, like, ongoing series, and you're like, oh, answers. There's going to be answers. No, there's nothing. It's just, like, <laughs> him fighting with a bunch of characters who I guess you kind of see occasionally, but it's bad. Do you think they made it so vague because they were still kind of deciding what they uh, wanted to do? Maybe. <laughs> so, Sc- Scott Lobdell was apparently, like, a, like, barely plan ahead sort of person Mm. i seem to remember adam and i could be wrong i think that fabian really liked planning ahead but yeah lobdell did not and it was like apparently very frustrating (laughs) that dynamic between the two of them yeah i think fabian hints to that on uh we interviewed him a while back for battle of the atom and he he kind of suggested that like the way in which they were moving forward was difficult for him because you know he wanted he had long-term plans for uh, you know, like we, we brought up the, the idea of Adam X, you know, mm-hmm. his creation that just kind of stopped when he left the books or was asked to leave. I don't know. It's kind of back and forth there. But, um, yeah, I think there was definitely a conflict there. And, you know, I think the bottom line is that uh, editorially, why would you explain this thing if it's driving sales? It was the same thing with Wolverine. You know, they kept promising answers about his backstory, his mysterious origins for decades, you know, mm-hmm. and they never really explained it to anybody's satisfaction. <laughs> right. Because it's better when you don't know. It is better. It's better to just occasionally get stories of him and they just, and just set it whenever you want. Yeah. And then like, who cares? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Well, I am glad that you guys liked this. At least, I don't know, somewhat. The guns were big. The hair was big. <laughs> it was big all around. Oh, it's one of my favorites. I have, I just have a lot of fun reading it. Good. I think that's what it's supposed to be, you know? Yeah. It's not what's, so- what's interesting to me is how many people also are like, no, this is good. Who are like, People who are like well reasoned critical thinkers are also like, no, this is like this is this is what you want. Um, Chris being like, smart people like this, and I also me. like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, having read quite a bit of X Men uh, for our show, I can tell you with certainty that this is not nearly uh, close to a bad X Men story, and it's a lot of fun. It's good. Yeah, I think like. Gosh, a lot of bad X-Men stories are like not fun and also like bad. Like, oh yeah. Like they're some they somehow are like some of them just feel like somebody needed to like write some homework. <laughs> you know. It's amazing just how bad they can be. So um, <laughs> <laughs> this is not bad. Promise. Mm. Oh, are you looking up the current ranking of X-Men stories from Battle of the Atom? I am. I'm trying to see. Okay. Executioner so, Song is in the top 100. It is. It is. It is 96 out of 522. 
That's pretty good. So yeah, that's pretty yeah, pretty good. good. When you can get into the top one hundred, you're you're doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you, do, you, do you, is it one of? I'm sorry, my mind is just blown because I'm remembering when there was far less than five hundred twenty two <laughs> stories on that list. They just it's keep pretty wild. Up. They keep making shows. Yeah. I don't know. Every week, I know it's crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, are we ready to get into some Twitter questions? Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. Our first Twitter question comes from at Daniel P. Grote, who asks, you get to, have to, build a team of seven from the members of the MLF, the Dark Riders, the Acolytes, and the Nasty Boys. Who's on your team? Okay. Who the are the acolytes Magnetos <laughs> yes. bunch again? Yep. Okay, so I would I'm de- getting Larry, Curly, <laughs> Mo. <laughs> I'm getting Ramrod. <laughs> I'm getting false teeth. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting rocket punch. <laughs> I don't know. I never know these people. Uh, I'm putting Exodus on there because he's scary. Ooh, that's a good pick. He's so boring. At least at this point, but yeah. he is very scary. Very powerful. He is very powerful. Good choice. He's, he's weirdly old. Can I just get whoever that, that duplicate was that they had to fight all the little, like... Oh, the, Tusk. His name is Tusk? <laughs> yeah. He has giant <laughs> tusks on his back, and he Just, he pops just seven those, tusks? He pops those guys out of his back. <laughs> he, like, peeps them out. <laughs> yes! That's who I want. Tusk. Just seven. Just seven. <laughs> Him plus six. <laughs> See, I cheated. Adam, you probably have a good answer for this. Well, I cheated. I, I saw Dan's question before, and it took me a while to figure this roster out because I was like, who okay. are my favorites? But for the MLF, I took Tempo, Forearm, got to have Forearm, and Thumbelina. From Dark Riders, I wanted Tusk. I love the I loved the, the idea of him, like, you know, popping out those little guys. Uh, for the Acolytes, I went with, I always love Amelia Vogt. Um, I think she's such a cool character. Frenzy was an Acolyte for a while. Oh, I forgot Frenzy was an acolyte. Nasty Boys is the hardest one because they're all really kind of stupid and just look like Larry Stroman sketches. But um, Thumbelina's brother, Slab, is on the uh, Nasty Boys. And now he's on the sword station. So uh, I'm going so with that. So is Frenzy. Yep. Yep. So we got we got some uh, some cool people there. But don't feel oh. bad about not remembering these people. No, there's so many of them. Zach and I. <laughs> like that's. That's Chris's like ongoing <laughs> joke that he can't remember. Oh, and I'll just I'll just start I'll like start making up mutant names. Oh yeah, I'll be like you know, there's mouthwash. <laughs> <laughs> You're bound to come up with one when Sponge Bath, like when it's Fox Bat and uh, Fox Bat. I was like, no, someone's making that up. You Wait, know. that's a real one. Fox Bat, yeah. yeah. Okay, Fox Bat. All right, the- Ruckus, uh, the Kleinstock brothers. Is a good one. There should have been a there should have been just a guy named Rowdy. I would have loved a Rowdy. <laughs> I don't think there's a rowdy. There's not a rowdy. No. Chris knows. He's looked it up. He's <laughs> ready to pitch the rowdy story. That would be a fun game, though, to go back and forth. Because Zach has asked me to quiz him on Dark Riders before. And it would be fun to go through all these teams and see who would, who's the last person standing who could remember a name. Because there's just so many of them. There is a market for a podcast with X-Men trivia, like, of a limited run, I feel like. Mm. Like a 10-episode, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like like someone does a quiz master, it's all X-Men crap, and then it ends so it doesn't like outstay its welcome of like eventually the trivia would have to get like so weird and esoteric. Okay, so in this <laughs> podcast though, like are you bringing on like guests? Like, guests who know things about X-Men. Right. So like, hey Leah Williams, you want to, you know, Ooh, come on our that. game show about X-Men? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh... Now, now and even if 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 uh, X writers did actually want to like partake maybe they could be like like a part you know how like in jeopardy sometimes they get a clue and then it's like this one's read by like oh Oh, that's a great idea i remember during the uh (laughs) christy's like this is an idea yeah this is now i feel like (laughs) what do we do after we get through all the crossovers worth reading and some that aren't I feel like I need to bring back my X-Men trivia. That was such a COVID mainstay. You you made COVID so bearable, Adam, with like <laughs> your X-Men trivia and your let's learn how to draw characters in was, like those early, like very nerve-wracking stages. Yeah, there was a, a period there of like, what am I doing with my life? I'm doing this. 
<laughs> we just all latched onto something so desperately. We were like, oh, just a thing. It's just, it's like a thing to do. And it feels out of the ordinary. Oh my God. So funny. Oh, see, this is why the questions take so long. Yeah, this is why the questions take so long. That was one question. All right. Next question comes from at Austin. Or Next question comes from at Asimov underscore fangirl. And uh, there are two. Firstly, hello. Uh, and first question, if you could oversize one of your items to extreme levels, just like the weapons in this story, which one would you choose? What would I want something gigantic of? I Do I want a bigger cocktail shaker? <gasps> <laughs> just a comically large like a com- like, like a like a three gallon <laughs> cocktail shaker that's a great idea yes but- that is 100 percent. because i can only make like two or three drinks at once right. for people like right. i want to like i'm just imagining me with like a really big hose for the garden oh. and for like the kids swimming pools and like sprinklers and stuff just like, like a- super mom in the summer <laughs> Like firefighter style hose. Now, is it one big hose or is it like a oh. cluster hose of like a and it like rotates like a Gatling gun? <laughs> the hose has Chris, pouches. you're blowing my mind. Christy's face right now is <laughs> just like a <laughs> every child will be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Adam, what would you what would you make extreme sized? Uh, uh, I'm just I'm looking around. I feel like it would be really cool to maybe like blow up like a Lego set or um, oh. something like that, like like a giant toy. I don't know what specifically it would be, but that would be kind of neat. Yeah, let's do that. God, hasn't my fangirl with the good question? Always. Also, yes, the guns. The guns in these are like just so comically. It's nice. always funny because people are always like Rob Liefeld, you know, drew them cable with these big guns, but he kind of didn't. He drew cable with like a little pistol, and like everybody else just decided to get make it like bigger, and bigger <laughs> as time went on. Yeah, like, if you go back his to stuff what, always looks like he's got like a credit card. Yeah. I mean, there is that one trace job he does for New Mutants where he's holding a Gatling gun. That's he's that's true. It's traced off that's a GI Joe drawing, but um, oh, goodness sakes, oh boy! But <laughs> you're right. Most times, it just looks like he's holding a cardboard box. <laughs> right. It's like it's like a little. It's got a little gun. Yeah. Okay. The second question. Um, we're we're probably going to have to cut this this little bit out. I'm going to play it because I don't actually know the song. But, oh no. Uh, at Asimov Fangirl asks, is Stripe's whole personality and aesthetic the embodiment of darkness, no parents song? You haven't seen the Lego movie? We've not seen we have not seen Lego Batman. Oh no, it's in it's in the Lego movie. It goes like this. Darkness, <laughs> no parents. <laughs> Super rich. Kinda makes it better. <laughs> Okay. I don't remember I this think- from the Lego movie. We saw that in theaters. Yeah. Okay, if I look into fair use and I can use like 10 seconds of this song, it's going right here. <laughs> the answer to this question is yes. <laughs> Absolutely yes. <laughs> can That's we have like great. the techno sounds in the back? <laughs> yeah, it's a dubstep song. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. And it's like Will Arnett's voice. Yes. That's, that's, that's Batman yeah. there. He's, yeah, I, Will I'm just, like am I just going to imagine Will Arnett's voice as Strife now? <gasps> Whoa, Will Arnett, <laughs> Cable, and Strife. Oh, all right, next question. At Robert Secundus asks, if you could choose, what popular artist would you have sing at your own execution and what song would they sing oh because it's executioner right (laughs) dang rob that's dark and then he wanted Uh, details he says we have to explain what our crime was what oh my gosh (laughs) all details whether you're innocent or guilty how cool your crime was whether you're rebelling against a cruel state that wants nothing more than to feed our souls into a mill and grind them up from some billionaire man child's exponentially growing profits is up to you rob's looking for a job right now guys (laughs) god bless rob He doesn't use his real name for a reason. <laughs> no. I would be arrested for trespassing and trying to seed bomb uh, a bunch of golf courses. Ooh, oh, some eco-terrorism. I like that. Like the lightest eco-terrorism. <laughs> the lightest eco-terrorism. <laughs> right. 
So you would be executed for that. And who would sing at your execution? And what would mm. they sing? It would be... Hmm. I think... Comic for comical purposes, it would have to be poison at my funeral, singing <laughs> "Every Rose Has Its Thorns." Yeah. Oh, it's great! I love it. Oh, oh man. Okay, friends who golf. I I'm sorry. I I am like weirdly ad- ideologically opposed to golf courses. <laughs> it's not weird. It makes a lot of sense. I just think they could be parks with trees and maybe a little bit more biodiversity. Mm. More people could use them. Alligators agree. <laughs> Alligators do agree. <laughs> okay, so Chris is guilty of his crime. I think... Oh, oh no, yeah. Yeah, you have to say whether you're innocent or guilty of the crime Look, that you're have I Have I considered, like, uh, like, some, like, slingshotting a seed bomb at, like, mm. certain things before? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Considering doing a crime is not a crime. <laughs> My crime that I would be innocent of is um, bagel slicing. Oh, you're, you're terrible <laughs> bagel slicing. Oh, no. Oh, no. no, you're slicing. guilty of that. You're guilty of that I, And I insist that I am innocent. It is no crime. What's funny, uh, readers, is she does not slice bagels like this at home. Well, they come pre-sliced. They do, but you can still slice them. It's an, well, ab- it's an abomination. When you get them in St. Louis, they put them in the bread slicer, <laughs> no, they and they're not. nice and even. They only do that if you ask for it at Panera. If, every time I've been to Panera, they don't just do that naturally. Right, but like you can get it that way. No, but you should. You can get it that way, and you get like nice little bagel slice Mm-mm. with a lot of. You can put as much cream cheese on there as you want, nope. and you can make everybody else weirded out when you talk about it, which is the biggest bonus. Uh, so that would be my crime, um, and I don't know. I think I want Britney Spears to sing "Toxic." Yeah, <laughs> <And my execution. laughs> it's a great one. Uh, all right, I will attend that ceremony because what you're doing to bagels is a crime Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right my crime will be i told jeff bezos that he looked stupid in his cowboy hat Uh, (laughs) that was it that was it that was all it and then he sent to see his secret police after yes he just he's decided to launch me into the sun so i am going to uh have weezer there to sing island in the sun as i am launched (laughs) to my fiery death (laughs) You know, you say that he would do that, but he can't even like launch himself that far I off know. Of the planet. <laughs> I know. He's like got a slingshot. He's like, wee. Basically, I was like, man, you like Yuri Gagarin the first time in space did better than this. Come on. <laughs> I'm just Sad. saying, everybody in the fifties and sixties went a little harder when it came to space. Rob, that was a pretty good question. That was like a weirdly good <laughs> weirdly question. Weirdly good question. All right. Uh, next question from at Brawl2099. Why do you think Marvel named a crossover after a character who didn't show up within it at all? This is like the most bizarre name for a crossover. I don't understand it even a little bit. Other than the fact that, that Strife tried to execute Professor Xavier. Right. Yeah. And, they, to tone- well, and then he was very you know, lyrically verbose in yes. his speaking. Yes. Yeah. Almost song-like. There's a couple of different narration blocks throughout that are kind of like the the song is ending or so. I don't know. Well, at the end there where like they release the legacy virus. Yes. Yeah. That's what happens on the last page. But oh. Yeah. You know, you know the legacy virus, right? I, I do. Thinly, thinly alleg- allegorical AIDS metaphor. <laughs> That lasts for way too long. So Uh, long! (laughs) But to Brawl's question, there is an actual X-Men villain called the Executioner. Uh, His real name is Carl Denty, but he was not introduced (laughs) until the year after. So, Uh, Do you think he was supposed to be in this at some point? No. I don't think they even had a clue. They were just like, Executioners is really good. We got to keep using that. Yeah, the Executioner was introduced as part of the 1993 annuals when all of the Marvel annuals came with a trading card for like a brand new character that was going to be so memorable. And I think really the only one that anyone remembers is Adam X. Because all the other ones were very stupid. (laughs) And I actually only think people remember Adam X because Jay and Miles very heavily reminded us of Adam X a bunch early on in their run. 
Yeah. I would have I would have honestly never heard of him, probably. Yeah. No, that's maybe not. He's a weird niche kind of thing. I love him. <laughs> He's ridiculous. But... Yeah. More Adam X, please. Okay. So this next question, a little bit lengthy, but it's uh, from at Drew underscore G-Y. Uh, did y'all ever hear the rumor that the at e- e- the editorial retreat someone on the editorial staff joked about throwing Magneto into Executioner's song if everybody else was there too? They asked him what Magneto uh, would do and or what would Magneto do, and the editor replied, "Tear out his adamantium." So, what if Magneto had been an Executioner's song? All right, can I, can I jump in here? Yeah. yeah. All so right. So the the official rumor here is that Peter Allen David joked about putting Magneto in and having uh, him rip Wolverine's skeleton out. That was the that was the, the like joke that then held on until Fatal Attractions and that they actually did it. Right. Um, I don't think it makes any sense here. Right. Like we, we wouldn't. Magneto wouldn't make sense in this story as a as a as a bad guy. I'm assuming Magneto at this point was still pretty villainous. Yeah, he'd actually just well at this point he he's as villainous as someone like in a coma can be. Oh, okay. Wasn't he in a coma at this point? <laughs> he's not in a coma yet. He's oh, okay. just sort of kind of like chilling on Asteroid M with his acolytes. But after Fatal Attractions, he is in a coma. You are correct. That's right. What? I'm I'm sorry. I I was I was confusing uh, Fatal Attractions and then uh, Mutant Genesis, which was where he became evil again and yeah. went to his asteroid. He'll turn because for a while he had not been. No, he was just kind of close to the '80s. He was like right. kind of fine. He points it out in Mutant Genesis. He's like, dudes, I'm just minding my own business. Please don't bother me on my asteroid. I'm just hanging in my sexy pajamas. <laughs> As one does. Like you do. Like you do. So, what would what if he would have been in there? I don't know. Like, it, he doesn't have a lot of stake in it. Right. I feel like he could have been another red herring of a sort. But Yeah, like, maybe they fight him at some point and figure out that that wasn't actually anything. Yeah. I, I would know. love to maybe see Maybe he Magneto messes f- around with Strife and his metal, like, armor. Yeah, he could just <gasps> squish Strife in his armor, which I think would be really funny. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, as this crossover seemed to do, just lose clothes. So not not squish him, just just, <laughs> just lose him. Pl- yeah. Yeah. Make the armor fly off. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then at me uh Midra Jim asks, You're picking up your morning coffee at your favorite little shop, and the person in front of you is making a scene with the barista. Which member of Strife's MLF is it and why forearm is making a scene because he doesn't want a drink holder because he can hold all the drinks but they're insisting on giving him one for convenience sake oh he's picking up the coffee for the morning run for the rest of the mlf and they're like here do you want a carrier for that and he's like no i am the carrier they're like well we already did it yeah but he doesn't want to do a carrier because he has four arms he's fine Forearm, like you could carry episode. 16 coffees. Right? Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> that's so many. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, Adam, like, I like that anything answer. Anything to add that. to it or a different answer? I think my first reaction is like Reaper because Reaper is just so whiny and uh, he's just, he's always getting limbs cut off. And I don't know. <laughs> he just seems like you would whine about something like that. But I like Chris's yeah. answer better. Yeah, it's very good. I, I like so. it a lot. <laughs> I just like making fun of Forearm, <laughs> who has four arms, but his name is spelled F-O-R-E. I don't understand it. <laughs> and our final question comes from at Chase Magnet. What are the best and worst case scenarios for a current X-Fan just stumbling across this classic in 2021? I think the worst case scenario would be thinking Strife is ever is, is as important as this crossover makes him seem, but like for, for all of history. You know, like, uh, I feel like this is the peak of his importance, and then it just, like, really drops off. Yeah, that's fair. I think the best case scenario is, like, this is such a good time! Like, why would you not want to read this? <laughs> Stumbling across this would be so fun! That's fair. When I first started learning more about the X-Men before we covered our... Uh, for, w- before we covered Phalanx Covenant, mm. which I randomly chose, yeah. I was like really honing in at this point in time in X continuity, and I was like, "Stripes a big deal," <laughs> and he was, he was. 
<laughs> and then like reading current comics, I'm like, where is Strife? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I didn't know about Strife. I don't even. Adam, do you, was Strife in the cartoon? Because I do not remember him in the cartoon. If he is, he's in like the later seasons, which I probably wasn't watching at that point. Yeah, I watched like the first three seasons, I think mainly. Yeah, but I did not realize that there that there was a clone of Cable mm. until I was a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me too, but <laughs> replaceable men there. Yeah, I think. But like, and I knew other things. I was just like, what? Like, I knew about Apocalypse. I knew about. I knew about Magneto, obviously. I knew about Sauron. I'm trying to think of other weird villains. Wait, there's, a, there's a Sauron? He's a pterodactyl man. It's fine. We don't need to worry about it. <laughs> he wears jean shorts. He wears jean no. shorts. <laughs> he used to be a dude. He used to be a guy. He's not a mutant. <laughs> oh, is he, he named himself after the after who you think. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. There's a panel where he talks about it. Oh. Yep. I didn't think they would, like, credit that. Sure. Yeah, I'm shocked they got away with it, to be mm. honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have any best or worst case scenarios, Kristen? Um, let's see. I mean, it depends on how much... Well, if you're a current X fan, you probably know a lot of Scott and Gene, like, backstory. And I mean, the it's possible. And their son. I, I feel like some people have kind of come in with the new stuff because, like... A lot of times people see Jonathan Hickman comics as like a like, oh, this is a thing I can jump into without like a whole lot of. Right. But like there's teen cable and you know who his parents are. That's Mm. true. Like that. That's a known quantity. And Mm. like knowing that and reading this loses a little bit of its. Oh, you know, what's what's the story here? But it might give you like what you would consider necessary backstory. Without nec- with, like even if you take the reveal away, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still enjoyed it knowing what the reveal that wasn't even fully revealed in it, right? Was the reveal-ish, the reveal-ish, <laughs> the reveal you knew about, <laughs> yeah, right. That's not there. In best case scenario, they enjoy some really big guns. <laughs> <laughs> you guys nailed it. <laughs> Uh, All right, well, let's move from Twitter questions into our finale accolades. Yeah, let's get into those accolades. All right, Christy, we're going to start off with you for best line. What's your best line? Okay, uh, my best line comes from Warren uh, in response to Alex saying, I say we watch him like a hawk. Uh, Warren says, Alex, I do everything like a hawk. <laughs> Which, I just thought it was kind of a fun line at first, and then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, Every, everything, Warren? <laughs> we can go a lot of places with that. He sits on top of telephone wires. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that line alone has inspired like the entire series on Jay and Miles of Hawk Talk. Yeah, so it is, it is just yeah. That line when is, I hit that in the reread, I was like, "Oh man, I forgot." <laughs> also, like, I feel like that's a line where you're like, "Yeah," but you really shouldn't think about it because it's like, <laughs> how does that like help when it's just you're gonna watch him like a hog? Okay, that's, that's really all we need. We don't need additional. <laughs> Adam, what's your best line? It's during the cable strife uh, fight scene, but Cable jumps at Strife and goes, "You son of a peep!" And then Strife says, "Ah, truer words have never been spoken." <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> He's just so petty, and I love it. <laughs> so mine is actually is kind of a conversation, but it's their uh, Bishop and Wolverine are asking Cable about how long it's going to take to recalibrate recalibrate gray malkin to get them to the moon and he says if i do it myself about 25 minutes and wolverine i think says and if we help and cable says an hour and a half (laughs) so good that was a very good yeah we didn't mention it before but i do love the ongoing background sequence of them waiting where (laughs) where they're just playing cards and sitting around i just love that oh it's great yeah yeah the three of them together on on Grey Monkham was great. Yeah, I kind of like their vibe. It was fun. Yeah. Like, I'm normally not into, like, 
dudes with a lot of dude energy, but it was really fun. Christy, you don't like dude-ergy? <laughs> dude-ergy? Yeah. Uh, well, next up, uh, we have the greatest hero accolade. Chris, who do you think was the greatest hero? It's Cable. Yeah, that, this is a daily double. Adam, who's your greatest hero? Uh, come on, it's got to be Cable. Okay, we got we got a triple. Uh, so, hit it, Matty Wilson. All right, yeah, we we all agree. It's definitely Cable. It's, uh, yeah, I don't even know like, if it requires explanation. Right, right. No, it's the it's the crazy sacrifice. It's great. Mm-hmm. And next up, we've got our coolest moment. Uh, Adam, what do you think was the coolest moment? I think as a kid, uh, it was Scott figuring it out at the very end. Mm. Because, like, I had read that X Factor arc before I read this, and I'm reading that and I'm going, oh man, it is, it is him. It is the baby. And, like, you know, getting very excited about that. So that, that was my coolest moment. Oh, I like that. I like that. My coolest moment, um, even though I knew that just just from background knowledge uh, that the Strife's like space station was or that was on the moon, that they were on the moon. I thought it was really fun at the end of the issue, Gene and Scott breaking out and like, oh, we're finally free. But then that realization as on Earth, the X-Men are realizing they're in space, and you get that last reveal panel. Incredible last page. It is. Incredible. I love it. I love, 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 love that reveal. Uh, it's great. My coolest moment is the is Cable's sacrifice, and then like the like swirl, like just like the, the visual aspects of it with like the explosion and the swirling. Mm-hmm. And like, the... oh, I see those two silhouettes in that swirl. Yeah. That, mm, they left they it could come very back. open. <laughs> I don't I, I don't think they even planned on either of them being dead at this. Like, I don't even think like anyone was like, all right, and we kill him at the end. Like, oh, right. no, I, don't, I don't think there was, you know, you, you have sometimes where someone will plan something with like a backdoor out. Yeah, just in case later, but they still plan on them being dead. I don't even think that was the case here. <laughs> you want to talk crazy? Even if you look in some of the like little electrical fields that are around them, there's multiple references to Ahab, which was a a thing that they did back in the um, Days of Future Past annuals. There were yeah. a couple, and they kind of insinuated there that Cable turns into Ahab. Um, why they brought that up here visually, I have no idea. But like, that's a great example of like them just throwing everything in there just <laughs> in case, <laughs> just in case somebody wants to run with it later. Right, right. right. So next up, we have our Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy, and I had to give mine to Sinister, just like that thirst for the. Uh, Summer's family genetic material <laughs> and getting just getting so duped by this. I'm like, their genetic material, like, you get like a hairbrush or something. Right. Like, Sinister, you don't like make a deal with Strife. Like, <laughs> that was wild to me because he did capture them for Strife. And I'm like, you couldn't have just like plucked a couple hairs while you were. You could have done a it. blood draw. Yeah. Like, you had them. Yeah. That you had the genetic material. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> I actually picked that for mine, too, is I love him being stood up at the end of the story. Right. Oh, we've got another Daily Double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. So mine is the simple fact that Apocalypse is not delicious. <laughs> and the techno-organic virus will not eat him. And he's like, it oh, found right. me unpalatable. <laughs> uh, I, normally, I don't really, like, follow the science sciencey kind of explanations for how things happen in comics but i'm like oh no it just made itself replicate too fast so fast that it just like malfunctioned and it it, it tried to to leave charles and like found apocalypse and apocalypse wasn't good so then it turned into a bug you know yeah it turns into a scorpion that part (laughs) didn't but i was like replicating really fast this sounds smart enough and yet dumb enough that i also understand it oh (laughs) jeez. It's great. <laughs> All right. Our next accolade is the Key of C accolade, which is a moment that we feel would be enhanced by a musical number. Adam, do you want to start this one off? Well, I mentioned it before, but I would love to hear a little kind of whistling uh, ditty, like just, just a little bit of um, almost like intermission music to go along with um, the three guys 
chilling on Grey Malkin. Like, Cable oh, is yeah. literally whittling a, a little carving of Domino. Um, <laughs> it's so good. Wolverine is receiving the telepathic message from Gene that they're on the moon, so he's scratching the, the craters into the circular desk. And I, I don't remember what Bishop's doing. He's just standing there. But that would be a fun opportunity for a little song. <laughs> I like that. I had that spot as well, but my idea for a song was like a like gambling thing where they're all like playing cards real quick. Ooh. Oh. I like that. Yeah, yeah, the I passing like of the cards. Um I thought Scott needed a ballad at the end for like his realization and like his he's got that line, uh, but I know this, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life thinking about today. Oh, yeah. Thinking about him and wondering <laughs> and just I feel like there there could be yeah a really really sweet little ballad hit, hit there. the android rubber right there like mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> all right our next accolade I will go down with this ship this is platonic or romantic shipping your your choice relationship here yep relationship of your choice I didn't want to pick it I fought against picking it but when I looked at the issues we read for this episode I had to pick Scott and Jean. Oh, Christy, and you didn't want to. I didn't want to, and you're like, no, 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 I promise, by the end of this, you're going to like him. And I'm like... <sighs> are you not a... I guess. Are you not a, a Scott and Jean uh, fan? Well, at the beginning of this, I really didn't like that Jean just popped into Scott's head. Let oh. Scott have a little romantic dalliance in his head, just sort of a random little fantasy. You don't have to pop in there. That really <laughs> rubbed me the wrong way and just kind of soured me on them throughout this. And then they, they when they became conscious again, they kind of won me back. <laughs> yeah. There's a, somebody recently said something like, I can't remember who, but it was like, for a long time, people tried to make Jean just sort of this generically pleasant, pleasant girl but what I really like is when she got to become kind of a slightly unpleasant woman because it made her more interesting. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Definitely has some some boundary issues. <laughs> but it is but, slightly more interesting than just like, I'm the sweet girl. Yeah. Yep. That I don't like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris, who'd you and- go with? Oh, I went with Strife and Zero. I just love that Strife just soliloquies to his silent robot all the time. I think that's great. Zero is so stupid. He's just, he's just a robot. He doesn't talk. They it's try fun. and explain him later in uh, Excalibur. It's really in ex- of, of all places, Excalibur yeah, is a wild place. It's very dumb. Mm. Uh, I went with uh, Archangel and Apocalypse. They just oh, they seem meant for each other. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. All right. And last, but certainly not least, because it is the goodest, the goodest hit accolade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave my goodest hit to uh, Havoc. Of all people. Right. Havoc, when he gets that surprised hit against Strife, I was just like, ah, oh, and out of nowhere, you didn't expect the other Summers brother, did you? Right. Yeah, it's um, just kind of a fun surprise. Yeah, and, Wait, how could Jean get through there? Was the the genetic <laughs> material was for Summers and her? Yeah, I guess I guess Strife counts through, through Jean marriage. As a Summers, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, I just thought about that. When you get married, your genetic material changes. <laughs> didn't oh no! You know? <laughs> oh man! I just love that in that bit that you were talking about. Have it got to a bit where he got to say something like. So stop trying Well, stop crying foul and just cry havoc. Uh, that's great. <laughs> he says it's cry havoc twice in this crossover. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Adam, what was your goodest hit? It's right after that havoc hit. Strife, like, just lashes out with this final oh. TK blast. And I just, yes. I love that. It's like, so, it's just ratcheting up the, the action level there, you know? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine is there's a bit in the final um, issue where Strife punches Cable, and Strife is, like, way in the background, and Cable is, like, absolutely flying at the <laughs> foreground. <laughs> and it's 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 such a – I looked at it, and I'm just like, wow, this is, like, exactly, like, what I want from, like, a, a really heavy perspective shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. I loved it a lot. I love that he punched him, which is like, Strife doesn't do a ton of punching all the time because he can just throw you He was you really emotional. Yeah. That's where, it, that's where it came from. I do love 
I feel like it could have been really lazy if they just made Strife another gun, another gun dude. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that he actually gets to use his telekinesis because he doesn't have the techno organic virus, so he doesn't have to have big guns and whatever, kind of. I feel like that's super interesting as opposed to like, they could have almost done just like a color shifted cable. Like mm. mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. He's, I was, he's much I more exciting about it. And I don't know if that was the original plan. I don't, I don't know if he was originally going to have telekinesis. I don't think he does in his first appearance. Well, he's, but. he starts off as just sort of like this Cobra commander, like bad guy, you know, he just stands around. Yeah. That's all it is. He, he just has that very spiky suit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's really all he can do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Adam, it was such a pleasure. Oh, thank you guys for having me. About this. Yeah, I I know I kind of like uh, petitioned to come on for this, but I'm really glad I got a chance to because this is a lot of fun. And I hope you people are check always it out. welcome. You, any any episode you want to volunteer didn't for. Petition <laughs> for this one even. You said something like I'd like, like, you know, I, I I like guesting on podcasts, but I really like guesting on my friend's podcast. And I was like, well, Adam, we're about to do Executioner song. How about you just guest on the end of that? Great opportunity. Well, I mean, you, you petitioned yourself to be on a podcast, but <laughs> I, you know. Well, I, I'm like, as I mentioned before, this, this has a special place in my heart. I am holding my trade paperback as we speak. And, Aww. uh. It doesn't have the covers in it. That annoys me. Oh, that's a shame. But uh, it's still it's still cool. Uh, so thank you guys. This has been a blast. Mm-hmm. And Adam, if people want to find you on the internet, where should they look? Uh, folks can always find me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, and we've got new episodes of Battle of the Atom every Monday. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. They, they get you that weekly content readers. Yeah, we cannot keep up. We cannot do it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's both uh, a trial and a joy. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're looking to find our podcast readers, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's pod. Send us those long form messages at Chris's on infinite earths at gmail.com. You can head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and we love to read those out on the show, or you can review us wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Um, we have a Patreon and a Kofi. Uh, those are both in the show notes. Uh, with the Patreon, you can get some really cool stuff at a lot of levels, including mm-hmm. things like making us have a permanent accolade for the rest of yeah, the Yeah, I think we've got show. a new one coming up. We <gasps> definitely do. Ooh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I just sent the email out. Speaking of emails, I actually sent a ton of emails out to patrons this week, uh, which uh, would have been two weeks ago when this podcast comes out, or a week ago. Yeah, a week ago. Um, If you're listening, when this came out, a lot of people who have vote who have the the privilege to suggest something for the Twitter community to vote on have kind of all come up at once. So I've sent a bunch of those out. There's. Sent out one for an accolade. I sent out one for a crossover pick, guaranteed. So check those inboxes. Check those spam folders. That tends to happen. Yeah, a lot. Well, a lot of my Patreon ones go to like updates or whatever, and I don't check those as closely. Because we we had I had a patron once who had voting privileges. I emailed them. They were a patron with voting privileges for I think eighteen months, and I emailed them every six months to see if they wanted anyone and they never got back to me. And I was always felt bad. Cause I was like, I would love to do this if you want. Aww. We'll still take your money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe some people just don't want to. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They might not want to. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you readers for sticking with us. And thank you once again, Adam, it was a pleasure. And until next time readers, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>